You're listening to Track, Map, Measure with host Sean McIntosh, covering the latest thought leaders and technology in construction to understand what is building the world around us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Track, Map, Measure. I'm your host, Sean McIntosh. Today I'm speaking with Birchin Kaplanolu of Oracle. Birchin is the Vice President of the Innovation Lab stationed out of Chicago. Um, we had a really great chat today, spoke about drones, AI, reality capture, you name it, we probably talked about it. I don't want to spoil anything else, so I enjoyed the chat. I hope you do too. Please stick around to listen. Well, Birchin, I want to welcome you to Track Map Measure. Thanks for joining today. And thanks for the invitation. So for the listeners today, I think we've got a really great podcast lined up. Birchin is the Vice President of Oracle Industries Innovation Labs. And we're going to really just step through the past couple of years and really just go into what keeps him occupied in the day-to-day and, of course, what technologies they're really looking at to keep people on the cutting edge. But before we go too, too deep, I thought it'd be really good for the listeners to even just go a little bit further into your background and sort of the progression that you've taken from, you know, a civil engineer by trade to where you're at today. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for the invitation. So let's talk about a little bit of my background. So. Uh, as you said, I started in training as a civil engineer. Then I um, decided to get into um, project management. Um, I received a master's degree. And then during that time, I realized, well, I really enjoy teaching. So I you know, should want to continue to pursue that direction. But I also didn't want to give up the industry. So um, I actually received my PhD at the same time I worked uh, actually in the industry uh, full time. Um, so that had its own challenges, as you can imagine, during that period. Um, but uh, and then, you know, I continued the industry and also the academia at the same time. So I've been teaching at Northwestern University um, over a decade now. Uh, time goes by really fast. And I stayed in the industry uh, for 17 years. And it was three and a half years ago I joined Oracle. So that was my career transition from uh, being in the construction, being running operations, um, dealing with projects, uh, running large teams as as big as 110, 120 people. And um, and then I did the transition to tech. I love it. Yeah, that sounds great. And so during that time in, in the industry, I mean, there was obviously a lot of great project exposure that would have, you know, um, brought new or, or, or shed new light on some technologies that were taking place. Can you think of like within that long career path, like one project that, you know, just had so many complexities that you felt that technology could solve or that the company was implementing to solve at that time? Absolutely. So I'll share my personal experience. So um, I took over a leadership role to to run a very large program, uh, which include building 750 sites in one year. And at the time, the largest program was managed was 250 locations. So that's pretty sizable uh, compared to the past. And um, some locations, these are um, build out, some are uh, ground up um, uh, retail locations, and some are actually um, just modifications. So that project really, um, I was able to work with a large team, but also really leverage data, right? So looking at the data, trying to make predictions about which locations will be completed on time, which will not be, what are the common issues so we can figure out like systemic issues. So I think in my career, 
that's a pivotal project to really use the power of data. And it, well, the project really taught me and, and the people I work with was, it was actually less about the building uh, and construction. It was more about the process and how we get to the finish line. And in some cases, uh, when the construction started, I know it was going to be completed, right? So that was like the, everything that has to happen prior to that and all the restrictions and constraints. I think um, that was really important. And we're talking about, you know, uh, around 10 years ago or so. So at that time, uh, data analytics uh, was, you know, really ramping up in the industry and collecting large data sets. And now, you know, we have the power of machine learning and AI, and now we're, you know, using those to look at what the outcomes would be. But purely on that project, it was, it was, you know, not AI, it was, you know, human power, right? Human power of prediction, human power of um, statistics and, you know, analysis and figuring out what the outcome could be. Right. I mean, I'm thinking like even back 10 years, because things have changed so much already. Um, you would have all these different moving parts, but like you mentioned, it, it's, it's human power. It's not uh, a lot of computers and systems in place to track all these different things in tandem. So at that point in time, I mean, unless you've got someone in a position like yourself looking over all these teams, you probably really never get that macro view of the project to be able to find those efficiencies. If you're just like digging in on like what's right in front of your face to, you know, put one thing in front of the other until all of a sudden there's a building going up in front of you. It's uh, it would be a difficult thing to manage. And I think one thing that technology has afforded us, which, you know, we definitely see with with how your role has evolved, is that ability to take that macro view. Right. How do all these little tiny pieces that move in tandem, you know, act, actually work as the gears of a much larger machine? I, I will give you a specific example. So that project um we were doing um, some design, procurement, engineering, uh, managing multiple entities, and then the construction, and then handed over to the operations of the owner, right? So picture all that. Like one of the data points showed uh, us that there were certain periods that there'll be more um, closings of properties they would acquire. And then, you know, when I, when I was able to recognize that, you know, it's like six months into the project, I went back to the owner and said, hey, check this out. Like there are some spikes here, right? This this is not leveled. Yeah. And then we figured out it had to do with the compensation of the people who actually work on those, right? It was like they, they had some deadlines to meet and so they would push things at certain times. And, you know, what we did is um, discuss with the owner and the owner changed the, how they, you know, award and compensate those teams who went and acquire locations. And then it become a more of a predictable outcome. So something as simple as that, right? As you said, if you're in one project and only looking at, you know, things, you're not really getting a holistic view, looking at all these patterns and, and understanding it. It's very hard to fix these kind of systemic issues. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like at least a lot of the work that you do. So, you know, for the listeners who've let, uh, heard past episodes of mine, I'm sure you know my background. I focus on drones, capturing topography, measuring earthwork, tracking really the construction project before it comes out of the ground. But Bertram, would you say that your focus really is in the vertical construction more so? I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm getting that right. Um, so my experiences has been in a lot in vertical construction. 
Um, but my role, you know, since uh, I joined Oracle is pretty much every type of construction. So it's infrastructure, it's protocol, you know, it is, um, it, it is any aspect of construction um, you can imagine. So one thing I've loved learning about more of the BIM side of things, you know, being able to carry that project through the life cycle once it comes out of the dirt, is that you never really retire that project with a dirt work site. I mean, once you've prepped the pad, once you've got it to rough or finish grade, I mean, you walk away from that. There is no maintenance. There's no uh, scheduling to keep up with that. But as I've gotten deeper into some of these other verticals and, and spoken with people like yourself, um, I really love the idea of the reality capture piece, the being able to almost turn over uh, a digital twin of the site to the person that's going to maintain that building for the next 10, 20, 30 years uh, so that, you know, not just for the person who built it, but also for the person maintaining it, they're able to um, do that effectively. And they've got digital record of where things are at. And when they need to pull down a wall to go back in and adjust some electrical conduit, they're not ripping down everything else. The, the technology that you're looking at today uh, at the Innovation Labs, uh, how much of that is to do with, you know, um, I guess the, the maintenance cycle or carrying things over? Like how much is it reality capture versus just tracking it while the construction is happening? Uh, I think uh, so reality capture uh, is now become a very hot topic during especially, you know, during pandemic, right? Because then we don't actually have to be on the site. As an example, like if I'm running a project and it's in a different location, I can have um, you can I can get that data from cameras or drone flights or 360 videos, and I don't actually physically have to go. Um, but you said something really important. That's that's during progress and understanding what's in place, and you can even use it for quality and safety and other things. But that level of detail of data. Uh, is really, really relevant to operations. So um, we did build uh, a structure in year 2020 in Chicago um, at the location of the lab. And, you know, we collected lots of imagery, lots of cameras and, and all that stuff. So that actually becomes, reality capture becomes a now a tool for the facility management uh, because that property is owned by Oracle, that facility management actually has access to it. Something you said earlier, let's say you need to do you know, some work on a location, you can easily go back in time and look at it and look at what was you know, inside that wall. I mean, you, you have the drawings, you, know, you have the model, you have the metadata. We did that too, by the way. So we actually were able to create a rep, uh, an as-built model for this building which is going to be um, you know, a great help to the facility management because they can actually look into the model and understand you know, what, you know, what, what is the metadata, what is those mechanical systems, what are the other pieces. Um, but also using reality capture with that is really, really helpful. Um, Industry is heading that way, but I think there's a lot of effort start spent now on the progress right now. Um, and as we become more mature, I think that data flow into operations is going to become, you know, more natural. And, and so this is something we've been speaking really broadly about. Um, and, and I apologize, we haven't gone more specific, but the Innovation Labs is a, a really big piece of what Burton does at Oracle. And I think it's, it'd be 
really valuable if we could actually just step through the innovations lab just a bit. If you wouldn't mind giving um, some background for the listeners on what the innovations lab is, how it comes to be, you know, and, and what your role looks like um, there. Absolutely. So um, since this audio since construction, I think it's going to be really relevant. Like everything we do in construction is in the physical space, right? So we build things. We like to, it's tangible. That's one of the reasons why I picked this industry because when I work on a project, I can see what it looks like at the end. Um, and the digital you know, solutions are really helping us during delivery. That's great. But everything happens in the physical world. So the idea was um, we as the software company and have products in serving software for the construction engineering. And most of the products are in the construction space uh, from project management, scheduling, payments to process optimization. We decided that, you know what, we should actually build a construction site and, and then build an ecosystem around it with customers and partners and really figure out a what works and doesn't work. So it's kind of a test bed and, and also look at the processes. Um, so that was our intent. We opened up a very, I'll say a small construction site um, in Chicago in August, 2018. And that was, if you can picture it, is the audience can picture this in their head, is like a double white you know, construction site trailer, a site office, um, a steel structure, uh, some fencing, some gravel, um, some pathways, and, and that's it. You know, it, it didn't look that exciting to look at, but the reality is it was more about what we did in the space. So we picked some key use cases that our customers told us that they care about, um, and then work with customers and partners and really look at the integrations with our products and really figure out what works and doesn't work. So the lab served really two functions. Um, one is we can test and validate technologies. And some customers actually told us, well, this is like you're providing innovation as a service because you know, we got bombarded with a lot of you know, products and everything out there that is point solutions. You're actually going through them, vetting them and understanding what makes sense. Um, and also, you know, um, as, as in, you know, during operations, it's really hard to, to try some of these things. And because if you fail and things don't work, you know, you still have to deliver the project. So this location, we use it as a test bed. We also use it as a way to see workflows. So we actually created some immersive experiences for visitors. Like, um, you know, show up on the site, you would live day in the life of a construction worker. Um, you would role play, you will solve problems, you'll look at a project, a schedule, and you'll try to identify certain things. Um, so that experience, again, this was, you know, in some ways, Sean, it was our, I'll say, minimum viable product. We wanted to see if we created this, will, other, will customers engage, will partners engage, will industry respond to this? Um, and we had high expectations. Um, it even exceeded our own high expectations. So in the first, uh, I'll say, 14, 15 months of operation, we actually had over 900 visitors and they came from all around the world. So we built this, again, um, small site in Chicago. And during that period, because of amazing market response, um, we actually start planning on building a larger facility. So after we operated this, I'll call phase one, which is the you know, small construction site, we actually start building a facility in the same location on December uh, 2019. 
And there comes the pandemic, right? We're under construction. And the positive thing there is all these technologies we tried in the first 15 months, we actually use them to build our own facility. Um, and those, you know, were some were seen as, oh, nice to have technologies become a, a, a really a must have during pandemic. Because we had the cameras, we have the AI models built in to recognize objects and things. Um, we integrated with schedule and RFID readers to track materials. Um, we had solutions to look at supply chain, um, you know, reality capture, like you said. So, you know, we had a whole plan to do tons of reality capture from drones to LIDARs to um, robotic reality capture. All those things that we were planning to put in place during the pandemic become a, a really a must have. And the best part of this, we shared with everyone. Uh, in year 2020, we have done lots of virtual visits to this construction site, to our customers, um, and a lot of visitors, not just customers. Um, we passed over 1,800 uh, visitors, um, and we shared with everyone and said, here's the tech, here's the workflow, this is how it works, this is the you know, commercial use case, um, because one of the you know, main functions of this lab is, this is not just for us, it's, it's for the industry. So, I mean, you've literally got like my, my, <laughs> my perfect job. It sounds like, uh, what you do. I mean, you get to play in an adult sandbox and you get to try out all these amazing things that I'm sure blow your mind daily. And, <laughs> you know, one thing that I, I think you said, which was really great is, you know, these large companies, they, they can't really go and play with these different technologies, hoping that one will work for them. It's just the projects, you know, there's, there's too much riding on them from a monetary standpoint, from a timeline standpoint. So really, I mean, what you've given them is the ability to try only tried and true technology. You, you get to go and build and fail and build again in this innovations lab so that they don't have to. They get to see what works and they get to try it out. They get to see what the implementation would look like. And I mean, that's totally, totally invaluable. And I can definitely see why. Sean, I'm going to I'm going to give you one other example. So um, it, some of our customers told us, said, well, I see this technology. I see how it works. I want to actually try this on a project, um, but I actually want to bring my project team. That happened too. So that was another interesting um, angle, right? Uh, let's say, you know, you want to try a pilot, a new technology. Let's say it's reality capture. Imagine you can actually bring your team to a simulated construction site like we, we have and have them try it, have them see it, have them go through the process and come up with a plan is who's doing what, what the process looks like, how they can actually implement it on their project, right? Um, compared to, oh, here's a project and I'll show you some PowerPoint slides and this is a new software and a hardware you got to use on a site. Um, so that we actually have done that too with some customers who actually brought their project teams. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's really incredible, and I mean I think your numbers speak for themselves when you you're mentioning how many people have just shown up in in the past year to come see this different stuff, and to to get a little bit more pointed in, in terms of the different technologies being used. I mean, when these people come to site to see see what you guys are working on, uh, I mean, what are some of those different technologies using? I know uh, drones have been broadly uh, spoken about, uh, laser scanning, uh, touchless deliveries. 
there's a lot of different things on that list, but maybe let's go a little bit more deep on some of those, or at least what, what's got you excited right now. Absolutely. So I'm going to put the you know, head of a superintendent. So when we started this site, um, we asked um, our customers, I clearly remember I went to and asked to a superintendent I worked for like over a decade um, and I asked him and said, hey, you know, what do you care about? And he said, well, I just care about the crews. Do I have the right crew on site and do I have the material? He said, I'll figure out the rest. And and when we did, you know, customer engagements and asked them what they care about, they kind of said the same things. They said, I care about the crews and I care about materials. Um, so that that became our two focus points. I mean, we talked about materials, right? The contactless deliveries. We are we implemented technologies where you can track material from production to shipment to delivery to installation on site. Um, these technologies are commercially available. Um, and then the people front, we implemented with technologies with uh, you know us working with some partners about how to um, you know. Uh, know which crews on site, which area they're in, um, and we, you know, care a lot about privacy. And um, so, like, we didn't use technologies for, like, we did not use facial recognition. These are sensor technologies. Um, you know, you don't know exactly where that worker is. Ex- exactly, if that person is in that spot, you know the workers in that zone. So that you know takes away all that pressure. So um, one is materials. The second one is, you know, worker crews and, you know, safety about which zone they're in. You know, is that a allowed zone? If there's a fall, can we get alerts? So those are, I'll say, number one and number two. Number three is, you said, as we discussed earlier, was progress, right? Everybody wanted to know progress. Um, so we um, spend a lot of effort with partners and us on reality capture. How can we use reality capture data? How can we tie the model schedule and reality capture uh, and use our products as common data environment and work with multiple integrations? That was, I'll say, um, number three. And and then we looked at, um, I'll say, command center. That's the way I use it. But you, you know, how can we centralize operations? Uh, because we all see this, right, in the future state of engineering construction, um, you know, we're going to have more robotics on the site. Um, can we do remote operations? Um, how does that look like? And many of Oracle products fall into that category for scheduling to project management and other pieces. And number five, so we had five focus areas, was about visualization of data. Uh, virtual reality has become a lot more mature it's you know used really well um, and you know we like as Oracle we can consume models and you just have to buy an oculus headset and plug into your you know uh, machine and you'll be able to walk inside the models in in our products right so you don't need a special plugin or anything else it actually works um, so VR is really improved really partnered with some companies about VR training um, how should the crew be trained with VR? What that looks like, and and I think um, everybody is recognizing that that's actually um, a lot more mature. On the data visualization, augmented reality continues to be a challenge, um, and the main reason is not really software; it has to do with hardware. And if you look at the hardware today, what's available out there, you know, battery life is an issue, model size is an issue, um, daylight is issue. 
knowing spatial recognition where you're in that space is an issue. Um, so, so um, you know, we tried a lot of different things, but haven't actually found anything hardware that actually works really well um, for engineering and construction when it comes to augmented reality. Um, so those has been our five focus areas. And um, to conclude all this, you know, we didn't come up with these focus areas by ourselves. We asked our customers and said, you know, what do you care about? What is the team, what are your pain points? And they were able to guide us to these five. Yeah, and that's and that's an incredibly strong list. I mean, I, I think that that would be consistent across any industry. I mean, progress is, is going to be topical for anyone. It's where we at, where do we have to go? And we hear this a lot from the, our customers that we work with as well, who are simply using the drone to track materials. For them, you know, their money is in the material. They need to know at any given time how far along are we. If we've got different crews on site, how much are they moving? Is that consistent with other crews? Do we have the right combination of machines out there. And so one thing that we're kind of in development of that, um, you know, I, I'm sure your teams could use as well is, is going to help a little bit on the machine utilization piece. So basically uh, feeding uh, autonomous data back in there, which is going to let you anybody know at any given time, uh, you know, how much idle time versus runtime do we see with that uh, material, with that piece of equipment? Uh, how many cubes per hour is that moving? You know, what does that look like on project schedule? But the most important thing with any of these technologies is being able to disseminate it back down into digestible information. There's so, so much data points. And, and me coming from a background of GIS, I know the importance of having organized data and having it displayed in a way that other people can digest it. So it's kind of like the the, the Fitbit thing where there's lots of people who like to wear the Fitbit every day, but do they really care about the minute-by-minute minute update of, of what their sleep metrics look like, what their heartbeat looks like? Most of the time, people are really looking for the trends. Looking at it at the end of the week, they want to see the trends in a dashboard and what that trend means for their lifestyle. And I think you can relate that back to, I'm sure a lot of the products you're looking at, people are, are trying to disseminate all those five categories into trends so that they can be more predictive on either current or future products. And it boils down to, um, you know, providing the information to the crews on site when they need them and giving them the right information. It sounds super simple, right? Um, but the reality, it's not. Um, and like you said, I think earlier in this conversation, we highlighted about, a lot about, let's look at the data, let's look at systemic issues, let's figure out, you know, how can we fix the process? That's one. But there's also a huge desire to give the correct information at the correct time without giving them too much information, um, and giving in a, you know, really, um, consumable way that, you know, they can digest and actually do their tasks, right? Um, and as an industry, we're heading that way, but we're not there yet. And when I give talks about future of connectivity, about 5G, as an example, I, I say to um, you know customers that, well, you think you have a lot of data today, wait till you have that level of connectivity, right? Um, because you're gonna have amazing speeds in the, on the air, um, you know, crazy latency, which you could do remote operations. But on the other hand, you'll be able to connect to, you know, a lot of sensors uh, uh, at the same time, be able to collect a lot of sensory data. Um, so, you know, you got to really focus today on your data structures, how, how you, you know, collect this information. 
Because if you think you have a lot of data today, you know, wait till you have much better, much efficient, cost efficient, also um, reliable way of connectivity. Absolutely. And Bertrand, I'm trying to be conscious of time here, but I I really think we'd be doing the listeners a disservice by not going a little bit into AI, uh, especially with what you're doing. I think you guys are are chasing an incredibly exciting field. Um, So maybe we'll just briefly touch on this kind of before we wrap things up, if that's all right with you. Uh, Yeah, sure. And uh, so... You know, we, we talked about a few of those different things, like one one thing that had seemed really important to your clients was understanding where crews were on site. Um, I imagine a lot of this today is is probably manual entry. Um, it might be app tracking on phones and stuff like this. But how much is that data today being collected and using for artificial intelligence for more predictive stuff? So if you can see how efficient one crew is being, how might how that might apply uh, to a future project, how you might be able to predict project delays and scheduling conflicts and things like that. So I'll say um, I have seen in the industry a lot of pilots, but I haven't really seen anything on scale when it comes to the use case you described. Um, there's a lot of complexity to our operations. That's one reason. Um, something really key is it's also ties to do, you know, like, crews on site, they're performing work. So the question is how much work they performed, right? Um, I don't think one technology is going to solve that. Like reality capture is great with the cameras and other things and you can use with um, computer vision. Some things are in place or some progress happened. You can even calculate, um, like you said, you can calculate as an example with drone data with the volumetric you can look and say this is how much work moved and this and that right so we can that's available today right we can do all that but the reality is in many construction operations visually what we see has to be verified with other means and methods um, i believe the future state is going to be uh, a lot of vision data tied with sensory data uh, let me give you some specific examples so if you're doing um, you know, infrastructure work and you are doing, you know, road work, right? You can put cameras and or fly drones and capture video and you can look at progress. Um, that's fine. Or you then the other thing you can do is you can also put some concrete sensors where you can, it can verify, yep, it's poured. Yes, it, it came to this, um, you know, um, strength level. So it's helping you. Um, but I don't think it's it's only sensor data. I don't think it's only um, going to be just the imagery data or the video we collect. We need to really match multiple data sources into one to say, yes, that's in place and that work is complete. In some cases, it's it's today's technology is not even enabling us to do that. Um, so if you switch to like vertical construction and if you look at, let's say, a curtain wall installation, um seeing a panel in place or even a sensor telling us yes that's in place doesn't mean the work is complete because you still probably have to do other things to make sure that installation is complete that requires still human interaction to say yes that work is done so um, i think in this space um, we still have ways to go Um, one way of helping us probably will be streamlining our processes but I don't think it will be just one data collection. It will be multiple helping us. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's it, it's something that I, I see all the time. I mean, there is a, 
a whole team uh, on in, in, within my company that just does QA, QC on drone data. Um, and, and it's the same sort of across the board for a lot of things. It still takes that, that human eye because I don't believe that we've got these fully autonomous processes that can see things in the same way that uh, a computer see th- sees things. But on the other hand, um, let me tell you some stuff that is actually, um, I'll say, real and, and out there. So like we launched back in February uh, our uh, artificial intelligence product, which actually looks at schedule. And uh, it has pre-based models and you can actually, um, you can actually, you don't have to be a data scientist to use it. So that's one major differentiation of that product. And it's in, it looks at your schedule and tries, it predicts about what the outcomes would be. You can either accept or decline them. And it's actually learning from what input you provide. Um, look in, in that, that model, I just described to you, um, the machine learning algorithms is not is basically presenting you some outcomes and you as human are still making that judgment um in the past you know it's it's basically becoming you know uh you know it has a little crystal ball and it's trying to predict what outcomes will be will you either um you know uh, accept them or not but there's still that human interaction is key to the success of that so i'll ask you one final question before we wrap things up like just how how far are we away from from not needing that human interaction on some of these projects? I know this is an incredibly broad term, so answer as best as you as you can. But I'm just so curious myself, and and you play in this space far more than I do. Yeah. So so let me say it this way. Um, it I think it depends on two things. One is how fast the technology is going to evolve. Um, it is very hard to predict revolutionary technology coming into our world. Um, I will, you know, there has been some spikes in our history. Some technologies came and really changed how we operate in construction or other days of our lives, right? Um, I think that's a very hard thing to predict in terms of when they come and how they're going to happen. Let me give you a specific, let's look at autonomous vehicles, right? Um, we've been talking about that for heavily on, let's say, last, especially last five years. Um, due to the limitations of computer vision and environments and other factors, we haven't come to that place where we can just take a vehicle um, and put on the street and it drives us. It improved a lot. I mean, it's improved so much in the last two, three years. Uh, it's, it's, it's getting close, um, but it's still, you know, it's not there yet. Um, so if you look at from that perspective, I think um, technology predicting where the technology would be in um, is hard. But my crystal ball says we're probably 10 years away from that space where a lot of these things are fully automated. That's my crystal ball. Okay. And then we'll go back to it 10 years from now and see where yeah, we are. Yeah, I'll hold you to it. I'll put um, a note in my calendar. <laughs> yes, 10 years. Right now, let's we'll mark this We'll do a 10-year reunion of um, the TrackMap Measure podcast. Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. And the other part is actually really about nothing to do with technology. It has to do with how we operate. It has to do with humans. It has to do with process. If we're not willing to change how we operate, uh, you can have the best technology, but you're not really going to make an impact. Um, I will, you know, uh, let me give one example. So like, let's say you did a manual process and then, then you digitized it. When I say digitize, um, 
people assume that means, oh, I'm just going to use a uh, you know, web browser and digitally collect this information. But the reality, you actually haven't changed the process, right? All you're doing is you're making it much more accessible to other people. You're collecting the data faster. Uh, but the reality is you, you have absolutely an improvement, but you actually haven't really looked at the process itself. To answer your question, I gave a very long answer to this. I will summarize this way. I think the tech has to change, but also it is as important as how we process our operations. And if we can make those changes, we could be there in 10 years. Uh, if, we, if we can't make those changes, um, I believe it's going to be a longer period of time. Got it. Well, you heard it here first. 10 years is what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bertrand, I, I really want to thank you for coming on today. I've enjoyed our chat. I'm, I'm sure we could have went for hours um, on, on this subject, especially I'm, it, it is so fascinating to me. It really is. And, and I'm sorry we only had 30 minutes to dive into it. Um, but for the listeners on the call, uh, I would encourage you, if you can, uh, Birchin puts out amazing content on LinkedIn. Um, he's on there all the time, updating what he's up to at the Innovation Labs. So we'll connect his link LinkedIn in the show notes. If you want to go ahead and follow him, uh, you'll be able to keep up to date with what they're doing there, which is great. So Birchin, uh, any last words? My last words is thank you, Sean, for the invitation. Um, and thank you for, you know, listening us. Uh, I... Those things I mentioned, you know, technology and the process, um, I think we all play a big role, especially on the process side. I think we all have to rethink how we operate um, and really change how we do our operations to, to get there. I couldn't agree more. Well said. All right. Thanks so much and take care, everyone. Bye.